from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Thinking Sideways is not brought to you by this actually kind of nice hotel room that I'm staying in right now. Instead, it's brought to you by Bosch Season 3. Amazon's acclaimed crime series, Bosch, is back for a third season. For Detective Harry Bosch, solving crime isn't a job. It's an obsession that can claim your soul. After a long search for his mother's killer leads him to a police cover-up, Bosch now finds himself implicated in the death of a serial killer he's investigating. Sounds like one of our episodes. Starring Titus Welliver as Bosch and based on a best-selling novel by Michael Conley, Stream Season 3 on Amazon Prime starting April 21st. Thinking Sideways. I don't get it. I brought the aliens. You must unlearn what you have done. I don't know. Stories of things we simply don't know the answer to. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Thinking Sideways. I am Joe, joined as always by... Steve and Devin, and we're here for another cool mystery. Uh, this one from the the lovely country of Italy, uh, the motherland. Yeah, that's right, Devin's motherland, and Devin's been <laughs> indispensable in pronunciation for this episode. So that's thank like you, literally all I've given to this episode. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> the rest of it's been kind of negative. Like, oh, are you kidding? We're doing this one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, not interested. Now, this one's about a serial killer uh, who roamed the streets of Florence in the 1980s. You may have heard of him. But before I talk about it, a uh, word of warning, there's some really kind of disturbing mutilation here that you, a lot of you will find disturbing, and because really you should, 
Because it is. And if little ears are around, probably should save it for later. Yeah. Earmuffs, and, uh, kids, for the next hour. Just earmuffs. Yeah, there you Have go. Have you seen the script? It's going to be two hours. You're right. Nah, no, I'm going to talk fast. Don't worry about that. 17 days later. No, I'm going to talk really One really pair slow. of pants later. Okay, with that out of the way, let's talk about murder and mayhem. Uh, we're, we're talking, of course, about an Italian serial killer, so who else could we be talking about but the monster of Florence? Dun, dun, dun. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is a big one. And by the way, this was suggested by Paolo. Paolo, thanks very much. I assume you must be our other Italian listener. There's Luigi and now there's you. Mm-hmm. So, hey, dude, thanks a lot. We appreciate it. I hope you're still listening, by the way. Uh, but uh, the monster, and there have been other Italian serial killers, by the way. And some pretty good ones, but the monster is really the star. Infamous. Oh, he's huge. He's Jack the Ripper. He's the Italian Jack the Ripper, and uh, which always gets the public's attention. Uh, The other thing about him was he was really brazen in the way he operated. I mean, he would go and and kill people like right next to a road and stuff in in view where a car could just drive on by. He's mutilating a corpse, you know. Mm. He was uh, he was pretty bold. Yeah. In that regard, he makes me think of. Like the, it's the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Uh, yeah, yeah. kind of like that, except a lot more sick and twisted. Well, I was just yeah. talking about being willing to do it near a road and all of that. Oh, yeah. No fear. Oh, yeah, for sure. The monster has a much bigger body count, though. I have oh, to well, true. You, a lot bigger. Uh, uh, another thing about him that still captures the attention of people is that he never got caught, which means there's a pretty good chance that he may still be walking around among us today. Yeah. Which is a little scary. Creeps me out. Yeah. Uh, That's why I don't go to that country. Yeah, I stay away from Italy. Uh, in all, the the monster killed between 14 and 16 people that we know of. And there's a little dispute about one set of murders there, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll talk about. And that's not a record, of course, uh, but it's still a pretty respectable number. Uh, respectable, is that the word that you're... <laughs> yeah, respectable. <laughs> notable? In, notable, yeah, maybe. Notable, yeah. <laughs> Noteworthy, yeah. That's a lot. It's not respectable, though. But, yeah, well... When, uh, you, let's just, I mean... You know, you, uh, hopefully people know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the bulk of the murders took place between 1981 and 1985, but there was also a 1974 murder that was connected. And then in 1982, after six people had been killed, another connection was made to a 1970. 68 double murder, so, which, if you include that, makes 16 murders all in all. So I'm going to start with the first murder first. Take this chronologically, yeah. as we're wont to do. Yeah, so this happened August 21st, 1968. The murderees were Antonio Lobianco and Barbara Locci, uh, who were having sex in the front seat of Antonio's Alfa Romeo. Uh, Barbara's son, Natalino Mele, was in the back of the car asleep. Um, <laughs> so that's a little that's a little weird. It's the Italians for yeah. you. I guess. I think <laughs> even for the average Italian, that's probably a little weird. Yeah, um, no, it is. Uh, a little background on the whole thing, because this is kind of an important one of the murders. Uh, uh, Barbara was married to a Sardinian immigrant named Stefano Mele. Uh, Barbara herself was Sardinian, and her marriage to Stefano was apparently arranged. He was 20 years older than her and apparently very unintelligent, hmm. from what I've heard. Uh, and I guess that he was not quite her romantic ideal because she really screwed around on him a lot. And uh, all the later reports said that he actually didn't mind. He was actually kind of into it. Um, mm. So Like to be cuckolded? Apparently. Some, yeah. Barbara's latest boyfriend was Antonio Lobianco, which is why they were together. Um, Antonio was a bricklayer, a very recent Sardinian immigrant himself. Uh, on the night of the murder, Barbara Locci had a date with Antonio, which involved first going to see a horror movie uh, and then heading up into the hills for a little lover's lane romance. And as I mentioned before, Barbara's son, Natalina, was along for the whole date. 
And Barbara was not the mother of the year. No. Not well, at all. Well, it's better than leaving him alone home. I don't know. Taking your, taking your six-year-old kid to see a horror movie, that seems a little bit... Uh, depends well, on the horror, horror movies movie. of the 60s, I mean, like, actually... Creature Creature of the Black Lagoon, like, you would take your kid to see that. Uh, maybe. I guess it depends. I could see where some kids would be a little, at that age, might be a little traumatized. Yeah, but, but he might not have been. Well, he was traumatized by later events. Probably. But, yeah, we'll talk about yeah. that here in a second. Uh, and also something about Italian culture. Probably most of you have heard this. People tend to live at home until they get married. Mm-hmm. And often even after they get married, they still live at home. But uh, that makes it kind of tricky to have romance, if you know what I'm talking about. A little adult time. Yeah, and so... Well, uh, you know, a lot of Italians are Catholic. Uh, oh, there's that too. So that helps in the living at home situation. Uh, oh, yeah, good point. Just saying. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, anyway, long, luckily for the youth of Italy, somebody invented the car. Uh, and then about five minutes later, somebody else figured out that you can have sex in cars. <laughs> yep. And so on any given evening, uh, but especially on the weekends, the hills around Florence, Italy, were full of little dinky Fiats and Alphas with bumper stickers that said, don't come knocking if it's rocking. <laughs> in Italian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yeah. There was lots of that going on. Um and of course, that spawned its own weird little subculture of, of guys that were called Indians by the locals. These were they were guys, the, the voyeurs. The voyeurs who skulked around with binoculars, peeping toms, and, and night vision devices, and, and listening and, and devices, cam- video cameras, and and spied on all these young couples having sex, mm. which yeah. is just weird in its own way. Yeah, there was like, like I said, a whole network of these people yeah. up there. So what Antonio and Barbara were, were doing really was not at all unusual, except for perhaps the kid in the back seat. But also maybe not that. Maybe not even. I don't know. Who I, knows? I re- maybe have the whole family in the back seat. Probably not mom and dad, I hope, because that's the whole reason you're in a car to begin right. with, right? Usually, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, they drove up a dirt road. They were actually outside Florence City Limits um, to the west. They found a nice little parking spot next to a stand of cane and proceeded to let nature take its course. And uh, little Natalino got a nice biology lesson. Well, he was asleep in the back, right? If he was asleep. Supposedly he was asleep. I don't know. Six-year-olds can often sleep through kind of anything. Uh, I guess that's true, yeah. But what, of course, Antonio and Barbara didn't know is that somebody was lurking in the cane next to the car. Dun-dun-dun. If it was corn, I wouldn't have been surprised. (laughs) Yeah, no, not corn. One of the rear windows of the Alpha was rolled down. Uh, it was a warm August night. Uh, and at that time, of course, nobody was all that worried about serial killers. Um, they would be one of these days, but not quite yet. Somebody came out of the cane, tiptoed over to the car, stuck a twenty-two semi-automatic pistol through the window and started shooting. Uh, in the end, Antonio and Barbara were shot four times each. And little Natalino, did I mention that he was six years old? Uh, was awakened by some blinding flashes and deafening gunshots. And uh, yeah, he had quite a night. Uh, first the horror movie, then he sees copulation, and then he witnesses a double murder. So I mean, that's quite a that's quite a night. I never. It definitely made an impression on him for the rest of his life. I, I would, would say that. I would say. And I would so. really say it was the last thing on that list is what made the biggest impression. But uh, I'm sure. Uh, next, he was seen at a house two and a half kilometers down the road saying, quote, Mommy and Uncle are dead in the car, Ugh. unquote. Apparently, she he, called all of her boyfriends were called uncle. All, all of Barbara's boyfriends were called uncle. Yeah. yeah so he had a lot of uncles, apparently. That's, I mean, that's probably one of the least traumatizing ways to deal with that, right? How do you mean? I mean Calling he, him uncle? Yeah, I mean, oh. until maybe someday he comes daddy and like you just explain that to the kid and you say like, He's moving At in six, and it's... it's really not an issue. Right, but it's easier than saying, like, this is my boyfriend. He's replacing daddy. Oh, yeah. No, mm. absolutely. You know? 
Yeah. But it also explains why he's like staying over all the time. Mm-hmm. And sure. you should like him. Uh, yeah, all uncles do this, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe, hopefully no, not. Maybe no. not. <laughs> hopefully, no. Really hopefully I not. I hope not. I'm an uncle and yeah. I don't do that. But, well, so uh, do we know how he got to... Uh, no. I mean, he, he could have walked. I doubt it. Uh, actually, it's... Uh, the smart kids think that uh, Stefan, his dad Stefano was there mm. and that he took part in the murder and that he actually carried him to this house and dropped him off. Well, then oh, Lino said that a man put him on his shoulders, sang a show tuner, like off a TV show that was uh-huh. on, I believe. And that guy was probably the murderer, but that he carried him all to this house and then set him down and put him there and... Uh, because they say that the doorbell was too high yeah. for him at a six-year-old yeah. at his height to have reached up and hit it. So they think that there had to have been an adult there to push the button and then run away. Sounds well, very likely. Yeah, and I, frankly, you know, I know we may talk about this. It, it sounds like his story changed a lot, and he says he doesn't remember anything. And I, change. realistically, like, he was six years old. Yeah. And oh, he yeah. saw his mom get brutally murdered. Mm-hmm. So... I am not surprised. I mean, I make things up from when I was six and they were not traumatic at all. Mm. You know, so I'm not surprised that he would not have any real memories or anything he was willing to identify as real memories from that time. Well, yeah, I'd be a little fragmented at the least. Yeah, well, uh, and we all tell ourselves stories too. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, you know? I know that uh, my memory sh- my memory changes in weird ways. I'll go back and check a story that I was sure was this way, and I find out I've got a lot of details wrong. Oh, yeah. Yeah, or I'll, you know, I'll tell my mom, I, I, this has been happening a lot. I'll, like, say, oh, yeah, I remember when this blah, blah, blah happened, and she's like, you, um, you weren't there. <laughs> You, you've seen lots of pictures of that. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, and no, those false memories. You've are... invented the memory. I invented the yeah. memory because I've heard the story and yeah. seen pictures. And so I p- have put myself in that position. So long story short, it, it's not surprising that his yeah. story is all over the map. No, not really. But back to our murder. Um, uh, so whenever a married woman and her lover are murdered, well, who do you go look at first? Stefano. Stefano, the husband. Yeah. Uh, they hauled him in. At first, he claimed that he was home in bed sick when the murders took place, uh, but uh, that alibi didn't hold up. Um, and then police did a paraffin test on him. You know what those are, for te- mm-hmm. checking for gunshot residue. Right. And they found some of that on his right hand, indicating he had fired a gun uh, very recently. And that didn't look so good. He also gave conflicting stories, and uh, he sort of sort of started admitting that he'd been there, but then he claimed that a guy named Salvatore Vinci was the actual gunman. Uh, and then he changed his story and said that Salvatore's brother, Francesco Vinci, was the one who pulled the trigger. Uh, and then he changed his story back again and eventually recanted that story. And I've always wondered if he was, if his intelligence was as low as it is made out to be in the stuff that I've read, mm-hmm. I wonder how much of his story was led. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Because that's, that's a, we have to, we've talked about this before, that it's easy to get a witness to start telling you a story the way that they think you want them to mm-hmm. because they don't realize that they're implicating themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, and police do sometimes have a way of trying to put words in your mouth when they interrogate you. Intentionally yeah. or not. Yeah, sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll do sneaky stuff to get you to fess up. But, uh, well, let me give you some background on Salvatore and Francesco. Uh, they immigrated to Tuscany from Sardinia in the 1960s, and Salvatore rented a room for a while in Stefano and Barbara's house. And so, of course, he became one of Barbara's lovers. Uh, and again, an uncle. Uh, yeah, an uncle, yeah. And then later, Francesco, Salvatore and Francesco, even though they were brothers, they actually didn't like each other. 
Uh, they were rivals and everything. And so Francesco stole Barbara away from Salvatore. And became the uncle. And became the uncle. Uh, and then after that, eventually, Antonio, who was an even more recent immigrant from Sardinia, well, he stole her away from Francesco. And became the last uncle. And became the last uncle. So and this is an episode of My Three Uncles. <laughs> my, more than three, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but in a sense, Salvatore and Francesco had a motive for murder. So did Stefano. Oh, jilted lovers and the jilted husband. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, and uh, plus there was some stolen money involved. Uh, there was some family honor involved. So there were some other family members possibly there. Uh, it's, it's complicated. Uh, anyway, Salvatore, because uh, he, his name had been mentioned, they brought him down to the station for questioning. And re- the, reportedly, when Salvatore walked into the room, Stefano immediately recanted his story and just said that he'd done the whole thing by himself. So Salvatore apparently, you know, had some sort of intimidating effect on Stefano. Well, we'll find out more about that later. If you guys are good. Eat your vegetables and maybe I'll tell you. Oh, We're never going to find out. Yeah, no. The gun, uh, the police asked him what happened to the gun. Stefano said that he threw it into a ditch. So police searched all ditches in the nearby area and uh, never did find the gun. Uh, they were able to ID the model of the gun, though, because every gun manufacturer uses different processes for, like, rifling and such. So you can always check, tell the model. The firing pin makes a different, depending on the model of the gun, makes a different imprint on the shell casing. Uh, it was a Beretta 22 handgun, very common in Italy. And the firing pin in this one was pretty unique. Uh, well, yeah, it was, a, it was a rectangular firing pin, and this particular one, all firing, any firing pin... In a gun, and, and the same model of gun is going to have minute differences, just like fingerprints right. and everything else. And this one had a special little defect in it that was that was you know very very unique, and that it had a dimple in it, and so it left a very unique mark on the shell casings. And it didn't it didn't tend to hit in the center anywhere near the center. And all of the images uh, I saw, well, no, it 20... always hit on the the kind of the outer edge of the shell well, casing. Yeah, well, the, the twenty two is a rimfire cartridge. Oh. Yeah, so that's why that's why it that would explain outside. it. Never mind. That's why. <laughs> yeah, that's it was meant to do that. That's why they call no, it. I, that's why they call it twenty-two rimfire. I yeah. I completely just glossed over the rimfire, but I was like, it was yeah. really weird that it was always hitting on the outside. Yeah. Never mind. Ignore Stupid me. I'm an twenty-two. Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Get it right, man. You'd yeah. one job. Yeah. Well, okay. You're off the force. So uh, did they ever find it? They never found the gun. Still to this day. To this day, as far as I know, it was never found. Wow. Yeah. You I could know. be the owner of that gun. You know, yeah, I might have picked it up at the gun show. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I, did, I more meant like you, the listeners. Oh, okay. Yeah, you might have picked it up at a gun show, listener. So, yeah. yeah, if you've got a Beretta 22 semi-automatic gun, take a closer look That looks look old. At it. Yeah, looks old and it's got blood on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the police, uh, for their part, were they were a little skeptical about Stefano's story because he was a small, weak guy, not very bright. It seemed like a fairly well-planned little murder. And Salvatore and Francesca were scarier, scarier guys. I mean, Francesca was known to be involved in a lot of criminal activity, and they seemed to have some motive also. So it wasn't beyond the realm of belief that they also could have been involved in this killing at all. I mean, both of them obviously had a reason to want to shoot Antonio, right, at the very least. Yeah. In fact, all three of them did. On the other hand, here they had a suspect uh, who was saying that he had done it all himself. They had, so they had a confession. This guy had a strong motive. They had physical evidence of his involvement. And his kid, by the way, Natalino, in his statements to the police, did say, at least at first, before he said he couldn't remember anything, he did say that his dad was there at the murder scene. Hmm. And so it looked, you know, it looked to them like they had a pretty strong case. Open so and shut. He was, guilty of, he was guilty, apparently, even if other people were involved. So they went ahead and sent him to trial. He was sentenced to 14 years in prison. 
got out after about six years and went to live in a halfway house. So that would have, sorry. Yeah. Just, can you do the math for me real quick? That would have put him out of jail in what year? I'm not sure. I think he got out in 75 because I don't think the trial took place until like 69. Okay. He gets out in like 75 or so. That's fine. I'm just wondering as we go forward. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I wanted to, I took, I did the same math Mm because I was wondering if he was out of jail by the time the 1974 murders happened Mm -hmm. and he was not. He was still in prison. Yeah. When those murders happened. Great. Uh, speaking of 1974, September 15th, 1974, about uh, 10 miles northeast of Florence, near a town called Borgo San Lorenzo. Which is beautiful. Have you been there? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. How many times have you been to Italy? Four, two. Two Three? Times? Two. Just two. Just two? Yeah. Well, it's more than me. Yeah. Uh, I want to go Hopefully a lot more frequently in the near future. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm hoping that we can all go over there on some sort of mystery expedition one of these days. This one. Dang it. Yeah, I know. We can, go, <sighs> we can do a remix. We'll do it again. Yeah, we'll do a mashup. Uh, and I suppose it's only fair to the citizens of Florence to note that as far as I can tell from looking at a map, None of the monsters' killings actually took place within the city limits of Florence. They were all in suburban, outlying kind of agricultural areas, which makes sense. You well, want... those are the easiest places to park and That's get privacy. That's where you got to be parking, right? Exactly. Uh, so I guess we should really call them the monster of the greater uh, metropolitan Florence area. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Monster that that, that sounds just as good. Yeah, it's yeah. really good. Yeah. Well, back to our murder here. There were two teenagers, Stefania Pettini and Pascale Gentilcore. I think it's how it's pronounced. Gentecore. 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 So the, the third syllable, second syllable emphasis. Ah, Gentecore. Gentecore. Okay. Uh, they were in a fiat. Uh, just about all these murders took place in fiats. Uh, surprise. It was a popular car. Maybe it was yeah. Alfa Romeo. A lot. Of, there were some Alphas in there, too. No, Stop I just... Stop doing to our Alpha. cars. Yeah. <laughs> BMW. Uh-huh. Yeah. BMW Some, some yeah. competitor It was saying, Big Auto. Yeah. yeah. It was Big Auto. Yeah, especially next year, BMW came out with a whole series of magazine ads said, you know, drive a Beamer, don't get killed. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, they were doing something in their car. I'm not sure what. Uh, they got bushwhacked and shot. And then Stefania was dragged away from the car a, a little distance, about 10 meters or so, and stabbed 97 times. Ugh. And not, not deep stabs, but they were just like more like pricks, just Ugh. really shallow little stabs. But uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to be the soundtrack for okay. these. Oh, ooh, ooh, and yeah. it's just like, ugh. Uh, what, ugh. what did you hear when he did ah. to some of the women later yeah, on? It gets no. a lot worse. I know. Uh, yeah, but these stabs made up an act. They weren't random. They made up like an elaborate design that went around Stefania's breasts and down to her pubic area and around. Yeah. Uh, it also took place next to a vineyard, and the murderer found a little scrap of woody grapevine material, which he stuffed up into Stefania's private parts. Uh, and that's about it. Um, no evidence of rape. Well, he violated her. He, he did didn't violate rape her. her. Oh, yeah. yeah. He yeah. didn't use his own body to rape her. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, the gun and the knife were not recovered, uh, but analysis of the bullets in the shell casing showed that the murder weapon was a Beretta twenty two handgun. But, uh, of course, no connection was made at that time. I mean, th- these two things were about uh, 15 miles apart. Mm-hmm. And you know, six years. And six years apart. Uh and, um, you know, the, the 68 one really looked like, it really was a jealous husband thing. That didn't, and then, whereas this one mm-hmm. looked more like a random sicko yeah. type. So I could see why people wouldn't associate them necessarily in their minds. And then some years went by. Our next killing didn't happen until 1981. He took a long break there. Maybe yeah. he was out of town. 
Uh, but uh, on Saturday, June 6th, so by the way, these all took, almost all of these murders took place on Saturday nights. Some of them on Friday, but almost all of them were on Saturday I think night. one of them was on a Thursday. Um, and there was one, I think the first one, the 68 one, was a Tuesday. Well, I remember one of them of, was a Thursday because the next day was a workman's day off. Yeah, but, but mostly it was a weekend thing, which is where the action's going to be. That's when people are out in their cars copulating. And uh, also they happen on moonless or nearly moonless nights. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, anyway, our... so in, intelligently planned, right? Yeah, I think so. Sorry. Planned being the operative word right. there. Planned. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah. He uh, he was not a random guy kind of guy at all. Uh, uh, so this was Saturday, June sixth. Uh, Giovanni Foggi or Foggi. Foggi. Yeah, Giovanni Foggi and Carmela Di Nuccio were parked uh, in probably a Fiat. It was in a hilltop <laughs> area called Sandici, which is on the southwest outskirts of Florence. Uh, it looks like Giovanni was shot first uh, through the car window, mm. and then Carmela was killed. She was dragged from the car uh, about, you know, again, another 10 or 15 meters. She was found naked and on her back. I saw some, uh, some video of this one, actually. Well, not the actual killing, but, you know, of her body afterwards. Uh, there, was, there was some video taken at the crime oh, scene. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, yeah, well, they had covered her body, but she was, she was naked uh, and her... This one, there was some escalation uh, because her pubic area had been cut out of her body and taken away. Okay, I hate to ask this, but how much of it? Like the whole works? Well, I mean, the, the vagina was taken away. I mean, okay. not, not everything, but I mean, the entire vagina was... Yeah, so like was, the whole vaginal canal and all that stuff? I'm not, not sure how deep down the knife went. Depends on how long the So knife we're saying was. in primarily external. It wasn't like an internal, all uh, the internal... It went fairly deep. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a skin-deep kind of thing. It was actually a pretty huge chunk of flesh that got carved oh, out. Yeah, gosh. it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty gross. Uh, the medical examiner concluded that the excision had been done with a, what he called a scuba knife because he, he believed the knife had a notch in it. And I'm not sure exactly what made him to conclude that, but, you know, those guys know what they're talking about, so he was probably right. There probably was a notch in the blade. A lot of scuba knives do have notches in the blade. But they're in different locations depending on the kind of knife, so that's uh, my confusion. Yeah, depending. I, I, I found some pictures of various ones on the interwebs. I included one here for you guys to look at. You Two, can see yeah. That. And that's, uh, well, the, there's a one scuba knife picture here, and uh, it's got one towards the base of the blade near where it meets the hilt. Mm -hmm. And it looks like something for cutting line. But I've also seen basically the same thing on a scuba knife where there's a notch at the tip near the yeah. tip of the blade mm -hmm. for the same reason yeah same thing it looks like it's something you could hook around a line or something and just like snag it and just rip you know and just right and it'll right just it. go right through it so yeah so no okay. sawing back and forth or anything like that mm -hmm. something's quick and down and dirty uh there's other knives that have notches in them too like for example there's a traditional the famous gurkha knife that you've seen that's the kind that's got the 17 angle bend in it that the that the gurkha troops carried you know from nepal uh yeah you know that big old knife that's got the bent blade yeah those are scary little knives uh traditional southern european dirks also a lot of them have notches i included a picture for you guys to look at here klingons um, they they do it too i'm sure they do uh, so on the monday after the murders a reporter at the florence newspaper called la nation which is what the nation uh, he remembered the 1974 killings and noted that there were similarities. And uh, so when the police got wind of this, they didn't tell the police. They just printed it in the newspaper, you know. Ha, huh, police can find out on their own, right? That's called working together. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, they, they got out the evidence from 1974, and they discovered that sure enough, that same handgun had been used in both killings. 
Uh, and since this indicated a serial killer was at work, well, this really kicked the interest up quite a ways, like a notch or two. Uh, not like a notch in a blade, but, you know, different notch. We got but, you. Yeah, okay. Uh, you can put your laying down. Yeah, and, and this is when the police started searching, the, started questioning the local Indians. Remember, those are the those guys? Those are the Peeping Toms. The Peeping Toms, yeah. And those were the names given to them by the locals, the Indiani. Uh, that's not the name that I gave them. These guys tended to meet, and they were kind of semi-organized. So they That's would. so weird. Yeah, they would. Well, they would it's talk. It's curve club. Yeah, they would, it is. And they, but they would exchange notes. And I think one of the reasons is just so you didn't have two dozen guys showing up at the same spot to, to spy on the same car, you know. So yeah, they, but like that necessitates you meeting a bunch of like fellow curves oh, yeah. in the woods and being like, okay, dude, whose teenage like what teenage car are you taking tonight? Uh, First rule of the what perv club doing. is you don't talk about perv club. Okay. Apparently somebody did. Yeah. Uh, well, if they hadn't, this would have happened. Yeah. But I, I can think of better things to do with your time. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's just yeah. creepy and weird. Yeah, a little bit. But by talking to various Indians, they found out that uh, the guy who would have been hanging out in that particular area that night was a guy named Enzo Spalletti. Because they had their own areas. Yeah. Well, he wasn't there all the time. But I know, again, but... Was, yeah, they knew he was, he, was that, he was in that area. He was assigned that area that night, sort of. <laughs> yeah. And also Giovanni from Perv Central. Yeah, Giovanni's car was known to the voyeurs. Also, Giovanni was the guy that got murdered of the uh -huh. couple. Mm -hmm. uh, he, it was known as a quote good car. Mm. Yeah, I mean there was lots of action, so they they knew his car. Uh, and so it seems likely uh, Enzo Spalletti would have been actually watching it when the murders took place. I, I probably not, but you know it does seem kind of likely. I can see where the police wanted to talk to this guy. Yeah. Uh, Spalletti was evasive when he was hauled in for questioning. I think they they, they grilled him for like six hours. Uh, most likely that might have been because he just didn't want to admit his hobby was spying on people having sex in their cars. That's just a little embarrassing. Mm -hmm. As a married man, yeah. Well, yeah, he was married. Yeah, that, yeah, and he had kids. He told police, first of all, that he'd been with another voyeur the whole evening, which turned out not to be true. Uh, and then he told the police he'd gotten home by midnight, but then when they talked to his wife, she said that he didn't get home till after 2 a.m. And so, well, um, the police... She was, she was just trying to get back at him. Maybe. Uh, could <laughs> she be. knew, and she was like, you know what? No, we're you know, punishing you. Screw you, dude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it could have been. Cops decided he was holding back information, because, and I could see why they might wonder about that, because you would think he would have seen something. If he's... That's his, his whole thing, is spying on these cars. Why didn't he see somebody murdering these people? Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe I mean, he was away on a pee break. I don't know. I was going to say, yeah, he may not have been there during the, the time that it took place, or mm -hmm. he might not have been following the rules, and, you know, it was a, a dry spot, so he went somewhere else hoping to see something, and yeah. he left too early. Yeah, that's entirely possible. Or it might have been that he was somewhere else, and he came along and saw the bodies and, and stuff. And, and got did, the hell out. And got the hell out of there and didn't say anything, which, you know, yeah, that wouldn't be unheard of, right? Uh, anyway, he was uh, not charged with murder. He was charged initially with reticence, which in Italy is considered a, kind of a form of perjury when you're not willing to like tell the cops everything they want to know. And then in July, they decided, well, maybe he's a killer after all. So they charged him with murder. 
Yeah, and that's that's the way it works in Italy. I, I found out <laughs> from researching this is mm-hmm. like not nothing. I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm down on you Italian folks. I love you guys. I'd love to see your country, but it does sound like your justice system is a little screwed up. Oh no, it is. It's yeah. just all the systems. I can tell you. Um, I'm currently in the process of pursuing my dual citizenship. In that was Italy. right. I forgot about and that. And it turns out that if you are willing to pay a ton of money, you just like get faster. It takes it like they're literally. It's I'm wait. I have to wait like three years before I can even get an interview at the consulate in uh, America. But right? if you grease the wheels. But if I, if I were willing to give them like a couple thousand bucks, like I would literally have my citizenship in like a month. Mm-hmm. But nope. Yeah. I can't afford that. So, yeah. I mean, it's just, this it's is why even your name this. is not on the show bank account. It's mm. true. Yeah. I mean, it's even, I mean, it's, it's even stuff like that. It's mm. all of it. Uh, yeah. And this, this, ha- this kind of stuff happens and, all around the and world. And honestly, I mean. most people who live in Italy will tell you the exact same thing. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's, not, it's not just <laughs> Italy. There's a lot of countries oh, where yeah. you know, it, it's just expected that you're going to bribe people. Yeah. It's like tipping here in America. Yeah. You know, it's expected. Yep. So Enzo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Back, oh, yeah. So back to Enzo Spalletti. Uh, luckily for him, the monster didn't wait another seven years before he struck again because uh, that, that actually would have been a bad break for him. Yeah. Uh, so on Friday, October 23rd, 1981, so just uh, several months after the murder, Stefano Baldi and Susanna Combi were parked in the Bartolina fields. Did I get that right? Bartolina? It's close, it's close enough. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, that's west of Florence, uh, and their car was found the next morning. The driver's side window had a bullet hole in it, just like the previous murder. Passenger side door was open. Suzanne had been dragged about 10 meters from the car and mutilated like before. You know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And they found the usual shell casings from a Beretta 22. They matched. Uh, they also found a strange stone about 20 meters from the murder site, uh, which was shaped like a truncated pyramid. Red herring. Oh, uh, well, not even a red herring. I don't, I don't think. I think it was just randomly there. I yeah. Don't, I it, doubt that the murderer even. No, it's just a red herring. Just... No, actually, what it was was a doorstop. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but apparently, this. this police or this prosecutor who found it didn't really know what it was uh there was a journalist who was there who wrote, wrote quite a lot about this his name is mario spezzi uh, and he co-wrote a book about this with douglas preston called the monster of florence very good book by the way uh, the book to read if you're more interested in this and if you want to hear more about it uh and later on that little pyramid caused trouble for none other than mario spezzi because it turned out <laughs> he had a doorstop in his house and it was shaped sort of kind of like this one and later on, I mean, years later, in the, in the, when the investigation really took a left turn and started getting into strange accusations. Crazy of, territory? Uh, seriously crazy. Mm-hmm. Satanic death cult uh, accusations and all kinds of loony conspiracy theories. Not on the part of the Internet, but on the part of the police and the prosecutors. <laughs> the killer left behind a paperweight. And you've got a paperweight <laughs> on your desk. I it know. was you. That's kind about stuff. That's about it. That, okay. that about. I mean, yeah, because um, um, yeah, and and it, it was only much later that the investigation became as loony as it was. But boy, did it get loony. Our next killings were in June 1982. So, Devin, you pronounce their names. It was um oh uh, Paolo Maimari and uh, Antonella Miliomini. Miliomini or Miliomini? Miliomini. Mini. Yeah. Okay. Right. Is how I Mighty would say mouth. those. All right, that works. Uh, close enough. Yeah. All right. Well, Her so, government work. Yeah. All right. So they they pulled these these two pulled uh, their uh, Fiat, I believe it was. <laughs> That's a freaking Fiat. I'm never gonna drive one of those cars. I'm gonna go buy one tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They were parked. They they pulled off a what was actually a fairly busy road. They pulled up this short little dead end road at the edge of some woods and parked for the usual stuff, right? And 
Paolo violated the first rule of parking on the creepy dead-end lover's lane in serial killer territory, which is that <laughs> you always turn your car around and point it towards the exit before you shut off the ignition, True. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. what I do. I yeah. think he probably had something else on his mind besides that rule. Uh, probably. Uh, well, anyway, here's how, it, here's how it all shook out. The police reconstructed the scene. Uh, it looked like, from what they had seen in, from the evidence, that... They had finished having sex. Antonella had climbed into the back seat to put her clothes on. And at that point, the monster was lurking nearby and apparently was not as stealthy as he'd been previously because Paolo heard him or saw him. And so he quickly started the car, jammed it in reverse, and backed out of there as quick as he could. The monster fired a shot, hit Paolo in the left shoulder, but didn't completely in- incapacitate him or anything. The car kept backing up. It hit the main road. But unfortunately, Paolo did not make the turn. And the car went across the road, and the rear wheels went into the ditch where mm. he was stuck. He put it in, he put it in, uh, put it in first gear or forward or whatever drive, uh, but was not able to get out of the ditch. Meantime, the monster is advancing upon them, stands on the opposite side of the road. They reconstruct. This is this. when the suspenseful music would play uh-huh, in, in uh-huh, the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah. And I'm imagining things inside that car were probably a little tense right about now. Probably. Yeah. He she, he stood across the road and shot both headlights out. And walked across the road, pulled open the driver's side door, and shot each of them in the head. He pulled Paolo's body out of the car and threw him to the ground. Uh, He got into the car and tried to get it out of the ditch. And presumably, I think he did this because he wanted to transport Antonella's body a little further away to a more private spot. Mm -hmm. So he could do some of his usual surgery, if you know Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. Trophy taken? Yeah. But the car, luckily for her, I guess, was stuck. It didn't really matter for her. I guess she was dead. But at the same time, you know, better for the next of kin, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah he, so he did leave. Uh, he went up the hillside, across the road, and threw the car keys away. They were found about 300 feet away, along with a bottle of some over-the-counter medicine that was never apparently any use uh, in tracing the killer. What was uh, the medicine for? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, Norzatam. I didn't really, like, like check it too closely since they, the police were never able to actually okay. make That's anything fine. of it. And I have to say, by the way... It's on the side of a road. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it could have been chucked out there by anybody. Yeah, I mean, I I remember growing up and people had their trash bags in the back of their truck open and things flew out. So that's, you know, stuff ends up on the side of the road for a myriad number of reasons. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, When the car was found, Paolo was still alive. Uh, He was was unconscious, but he was, when he was taken to the hospital, he died later at the hospital. But police took the opportunity to uh, plant some disinformation in the newspapers uh, with the cooperation of the local journalists, they uh, said that, uh, and the, the reporters knew it was a lie, but they knew why. Uh, they said that Paolo had lived long enough to give them some information, and this might just have paid off for the police. We'll see. Uh, didn't get them actually the real killer in the end. It did maybe get them a little action, but anyway, we'll talk about that later. But news of the murders hit the papers two days later on June 21st, and that same day, police down the Tuscan coast a ways away, found a car that had been hidden in the woods covered with brush. Uh, they didn't get around to running the plates for a couple of weeks, so. And, of course, the public was going nuts. Tons of tips were flowing into the police via the phone and via mail. Lots of anonymous tips. Uh, and as All it, worth guano? Yeah, very few of them were worth anything. Uh, but then one day a letter arrived with an old newspaper clipping in it. Or I should say an envelope arrived. It wasn't a letter. Uh, it was about a 1968 double murder, which was, you guessed it, the murder of Antonio and Barbara. Mm. Somebody had uh, written on the clipping, you should take another look at this crime. Except for in Italian. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. not, yeah not in English, but yeah, Italiano. 
Italiano. I'm sorry, I just got to get into the whole swing of the Italian. You know, we've already been banned in China. Don't get us banned in Italy, too. (laughs) Yeah, I'd like my process to not take any longer than that. Yeah, you're back to the back of the line, honey. Sorry about that. Uh, and this is one of the most, one of the more intriguing little sub mysteries in the story, which was who sent this clipping in? Yeah. I, I'd really kind of like to know. They never did find out. So was it the monster who sent it in? Seems unlikely, unless he wanted to tease the cops a little bit. Uh, but was it, or was it somebody who knew the monster, but didn't feel like he could really rat him out directly? So he sent in some hints to the cops, maybe? Or was it just some alert citizen with a little historical knowledge? Which is entirely possible. I could sort of see that, actually. There are people who really stay up on this kind of oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Like us. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the other other option is somebody who either is was related to Stefano or, or close to him or something who mm-hmm. always thought he's innocent and was trying to advocate for him and saw the opportunity to say, like, mm-hmm. this, these are yeah. looking kind of similar... Like, let's prove his innocence. Let's Fifteen years it. on, let's still try. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. To maybe been... exonerate his record or anything like that, because he was yeah. out of out of jail by then. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was living in his halfway uh, frankly, house. Frankly, maybe it time. was him. Yeah, maybe it was Stefano. Yeah, that sent uh, that newspaper clipping in. Um, I don't know. Stefano was not that smart. Maybe. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but uh... I, I just I need our listeners to know that Joe just looks like genuinely shocked that I would even. <laughs> suggest that Stefano well, might have sent this in. But come on, you got to be kidding. Maybe I mean, it was his son. His son? Oh, uh, Natalino? Mm-hmm. Uh, how old would he have been by then? Yeah, it would have been about 15? 18, 19. Well, yeah. it was... Well, he was six, and then it was 15 years he's, later, he's, so 20. He's 20. Yeah. 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 He's an adult. Yeah. Yeah, so it could have been. Yeah. yeah. It, it could, yeah, it could have been. Anyway, uh, that's a d- different mystery for a different time. Yeah, totally. Another one that's probably not going to get solved, but... Uh, but police did go back and they looked at the files and they found that, this is amazing, by the way, that the evidence had not been lost or misplaced. <laughs> How often does that happen? actually surprising. Yeah, it kind of is, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm not putting down the Italians. This happens all over Everywhere. the place. Everywhere. Oh, yeah, it does, yeah. But they still had some shells from the gun uh, that they collected. By the way, the monster never troubled to pick up any of the shell casings. Of course not. Yeah, of course not. Uh, and so they still had those shells. They compared it to the more recent killings. And by the way, perfect match, mm. same gun. So it appears that that first killing might have been the first monster killing. Maybe it's a long. That's a long time run. To wait. Yeah, it is a long way. So Sixty-eight to seventy-four. That's six years, and then 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 uh, what? Seven more years to nineteen eighty-one. Yeah. Although I guess there's yeah. some kind of. I will probably talk about this in theories, but there's some there's escalation. That is happening. I mean, yeah. the the first bodies weren't mutilated at all or anything like that. They were just shot. Yeah, it could have been, or yeah. uh, it could have been just. But di- he could have different like... MOs, or he could have left town or been in jail yeah. for a while. Yeah. There's all or kinds of traveling. Things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, this so... this same set of style of murder could have been happening. I don't know in India at the time, uh-huh. and that wouldn't that didn't get tracked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know why I picked out India, but I did. Yeah, mm. yeah. And, and they, they've had their serial killers too. Yeah. So yeah, uh, they all everybody does. But of course, Stefano Mela could not. Or, Mele. 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 <laughs> Mele. Uh, he could not have committed those 1974 murders since he was in prison. Uh, and then after prison, he went to a halfway house run by Catholic priests, and he was still there in 1982. Uh, this, by this point, he was old. He was physically very weak, not a big guy to begin with, and not in great shape, and mentally not with it at all. Uh, and um, the police got really no useful information from him. 
So did the monster commit the 1968 murders? Well, that's hard to say. I mean, it's, it's hard to say if he was even there. He might have been there or maybe not. Apparently, there were like a number of people there. <laughs> it was not... According uh, to the theories. According to the, the reigning theories out there, the, the reigning theory about the 1968 crime is that it was actually a clan killing that involved members of the Mela clan. Mele. 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 <laughs> uh, the Mele clan and, 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 and the Vinci clan. Uh, and the, the, the theory is that Barbara... Da Vinci? Yeah, Vinci. Da Vinci. Yeah, The Vinci. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Da Vinci. I yeah. suddenly thought that there was an inventor involved. No. Yeah, no. yeah. Well, the theory is Somebody that Barbara... College is going to call us on that. Let's that? keep going. Oh, McDonald's? Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, Barbara had brought dishonor on the Mele clan. Mele clan. Uh, Mele. Mele. Mele clan <laughs> with her behavior. And, of course, Salvatore and Francesco... We're probably feeling a little butt hurt that Barbara had ditched them for Antonio, right? Uh, and also there was some stolen money involved, uh, which was probably the straw that broke the camel's back. But I'm not going to go into that because the story's already complicated enough. But even if, this, if, even if it was a clan killing in 1968, uh, Stefano should have known something. It appears he was there. He was placed at the scene uh, and, and, was, and convicted. Mm -hmm. yeah, and so the problem was, uh, you know, the police couldn't get anything out of him. Reporters... Uh, we're going berserk, trying to get a, trying to get into the halfway house to talk to him, but the priests that ran the place wouldn't let them in. Uh, and then, and then Mario Spezzi, who I mentioned here before, uh, the reporter, the intrep our intrepid reporter, uh, faked uh, being on a documentary crew. And essentially, they said that uh, they wanted to do a documentary about these priests and their good works, or, and, you know, and stuff. And so they totally lied and got yeah. in there and 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 just happened to like interview. Stefano, uh, and, uh, and they started talking a little bit about the murders, and uh, he was kind of vague and evasive about the whole thing. It didn't really say much useful, except for one thing. Ooh. He said, quote, they need to figure out where that pistol is. Otherwise, there will be more murders. They will continue to kill, unquote. So, ominous words there. Mm. Yeah, so he seemed to know something, huh? Yeah. Yeah, uh, so when he said they need to figure out where the pistol is, I'm not sure if they meant the police or if he was talking about somebody else. Or if he was just old and, like, messing up his words. Oh, there's that too, I suppose, yeah. But yeah, he seemed to know all about the pistol. He seemed to know that there were people out there who had murder on their minds, I guess, because he well, seemed to know that they were gonna, they were going to continue to murder. I the other thing I will just briefly mention, and I guess I don't really know enough Italian to really know this, but in English there is such a thing as a singular they, uh -huh. and it's when you don't know what that person's gender is. That's a they, mm -hmm. right? And so it's possible that he, that's how he was using it. Although again, I don't know. I don't know Italian enough to know if that is something that exists in Italian or not. Uh, yeah, I yeah, but that it's either. possible that he was just saying like that person. Yeah, well, who, I know. That, well, yeah, who I have no identity for will continue to. Kill. Yeah, I mean, they is like you know it can mean a lot of things in English too. Yeah. So I assume it can do the same in Italian. So they can mean the authorities, or it can mean society in general, or mm -hmm. it can mean a certain group the, of people, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, we don't know. But and as far as but but as far as him saying they will continue to kill. Same confusion there. It's like, wow. Yeah. Does he know something? Is it more than one person, maybe? Right. Does he know something? Like, we don't know. The Carabinieri, that's like the, what the, like the, the national police, I mm -hmm. think. They're kind of military, like paramilitary in, in Italy. They opened up the 1968 case, uh, and that began a phase of the investigation that came to be called the Sardinian Trail, because this whole 1968 thing, everybody involved was Sardinian. And by the way, there I don't know if I mentioned it, there was a big... 
a big uh, exodus of people from Sardinia to Italy in the 1960s. Well, it's an island. I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's an island off the coast of Italy that... Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like south of Corsica and west of Italy. Right, but and, I mean, if there... And again, I haven't done any research on this, but if there were some sort of blight or any, you know, hard times sure. on the island, that what you you get off What are you going to do? Yeah, and you so... Move somewhere else. Uh, well, back to our investigation, the the, the police looked at Natalina, Natalina's statements. Uh, remember, he was a kid, the six-year-old... Uh, and he had said, of course, that his father was present at the crime. He also said he saw Salvatore there. Uh, changed that to Francesco. And uh, he also said something about an Uncle Piero, which was assumed to be his Uncle Piero, uh, Mucarini. And uh, he said saw the shadow of somebody else. Uh, and then later on, of course, he, he decided he hadn't seen anything, couldn't remember anything. Uh, and then Stefano's, of course, his statements to the police also put Salvatore and Francesco there, uh, which, of course, he retracted. So the police... It, it seemed to them there were four accomplices there. I mean, I mean, actually, besides Stefano, there were the Vinci brothers and then Piero and then the Shadow. They weren't sure about that person. Uh, their their first focus, oh, but, uh, and by the way, the Shadow eventually, as far as the police were, were concerned, did turn out to be Stefano's brother, Giovanni Mele. Uh, but they focused on Francesco first because he was the one that had the big criminal record. Um, and they were able to place him near the 1974 killings because he was in the area apparently taking care of some business with his favorite nephew, Antonio Vinci. Uh, and then during the most recent killings, uh, Francesco was actually visiting Antonio at his home, which is only about six kilometers from the murder scene. And so that looked suspicious to the police. And of course, like I said, he was a criminal, like a career criminal. And remember I said that a car had been found on the June 21st? Yeah. Yeah, in the woods. Uh, by yeah. the Tuscan police? Yeah, by the Tuscan police. Well, they finally ran the plates, and it turned out the car belonged to none other than Francesco. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that was the same day that the false reports were printed in the papers saying that Paolo had lived long enough to give a statement to the police. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so did the news spook Francesco? Uh, certainly the police were kind of like, you know, intrigued by this. Uh, they hauled him in, and his, he didn't have any really good stories to account for his whereabouts on the day of the murder and he really had no good explanation as to why he'd hidden the car in the woods and so uh, he was arrested in uh, August 82 and uh, sent off to jail he spent a little time in jail uh, and the monster for his part did not strike for well over a year Uh, but then September 1983 two German tourists uh, were camping in their Volkswagen bus Uh, that was like this was like just outside Florence to the south and there were two guys but uh, one of them was small and had long blonde hair. And so uh, from a distance in the dark, maybe possibly the, the, the monster could have mistaken him for a woman and thought that they were a couple. And, a heterosexual couple? Yeah, exactly. Because it's two men. Yeah, it was two men. Thought they were a man and a woman. Uh, anyway, they were shot to death. Uh, and uh, the, small, the small guy did not get his private parts cut out. Presumably because that was not what the monster was expecting. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think Wrong he probably, kind of plumbing. probably got a nasty little shock, you know, when he, he pulled down his pants and found out that, oopsie, the, <laughs> the usual, what he was expecting wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Wah, wah. Kind of serves him right, actually. Uh, the pattern of the bullet holes suggested that the killer was tall. And I, I don't know, you guys remember the old, old, old Volkswagen oh, yeah. that had mm-hmm. the, the, the extra little windows on the top, the little skinny windows? Yeah. Yeah, and you can, if you, if you Google VW bus, you'll find those, you'll find pictures of that. But the initial bullet holes apparently were through, there were a couple of them through those windows, firing downward into the bus. Oh. So 
from that, you can you can presume that the killer was fairly tall to be able to stand up on his tiptoes, look down inside, see the two guys in there, and then fire down in there. Uh, the monster, by the way, always shot the man first, if that has, isn't already been clear, which is kind of a good tactic because mm-hmm. if somebody in the car is going to have a weapon like a knife or a gun, it's probably going to be the guy. Or to be able to overpower you. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So you want to shoot the guy first. So... Uh, so it appears that uh, it appears that the, the larger of the two was presumed to be the man in the relationship. He was shot first. But yeah, the larger I didn't mention their names. The larger of the two was 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 Wilhelm Meyer, and then the smaller one was I, I don't know if it's pronounced U E. It's U W E, so we'll call it U. Rush. You're the one who knows German. I don't uh, know. Yeah, but you know it's been a long time, and I'm I'm rusty. <laughs> uh, That's why we don't let you go out in the rain. Yeah, it appears. Oh yeah, give me my W D forty. But it appears the monster uh, shot Wilhelm down through the glass, and then you skedaddled into the rear of the van and scrunched himself into a corner as far as he could, probably thinking that, you know, hoping that, you know, whoever it was didn't see him, would, didn't see him and would go away. But unfortunately for him, the monster was aware of, of what, where he was, and so he just walked around the van and shot through the side of the van and killed him. Mm. Then he walked back around and, and slid open the side door, and that's when he apparently got his nasty little surprise because he left without um, he left without taking himself a prize or anything. And now, since the prime suspect Francesca was in jail, this could kind of put a damper on the case against him being the monster, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it kind of did a little bit. Uh, but police didn't let him go. They noted that the killer did appear, appear to be a tall guy, and Francesca, frankly, was a not terribly tall guy. Uh, or he could have been a short guy who took a footstool with him when he went on his murder sprees, but probably a tall guy. In stilts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the police also noted that Francesco's favorite nephew, Antonio Vinci, was also a tall guy. So they theorized that Antonio had staged this killing just to exonerate his uncle, <laughs> which was nice of him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's seriously. That's above and beyond, in my opinion. I agree. Yeah. And who knows, maybe he actually targeted this couple, these two guys. And it's thought that they were a gay couple because they found some gay literature there. Uh, but maybe he deliberately targeted these two because that would that would mean he wouldn't him ha- from, he, he, he yeah. wouldn't have to do the surgery, which maybe he didn't really wasn't all that keen if it, on. Yeah, you know, if he wasn't actually the killer. Uh, he, but Antonio was arrested about a week later uh, for illegal possession of firearms, and it turns out the firearms in question were. Uh, it's hard to say if they were actually his or if the police just kind of planted them somewhere because they weren't even in his house. And so, you know, there was no actual evidence. He actually, they it went to trial. He represented himself. He didn't even bother with oh, the lawyer. Oh, that's, that's a bad move. Okay. Yeah. No, no, he got off. Oh, okay. He, uh, yeah, he got he got off. He just, he just said, hey, look, you know, they weren't even in my house. There's no connection at all, no evidence. And by the way, they were probably planted. And so that was enough. He got off. Uh, uh, but Francesco, for his part, uh, stayed in jail. And then the examining magistrate, he's kind of the guy, that, like a judge who supervises the prosecution and the police and everything. He decided he wanted to take a crack at Stefano himself. Uh, and so when he talked to Stefano, he, uh, he still wouldn't implicate Salvatore and Francesco. Uh, but Rotella, the judge, said that, he, that Stefano did confess that his brother Giovanni and his brother-in-law Piero were present at the scene. So but maybe Piero was the Uncle Piero that Natalino said that he saw, and then maybe Giovanni was the shadow that he saw that night. 
And so, guess what? They were those guys got arrested too. They were charged with monsterism. Of course. Yeah. And How many arrests were there total? There, there's oh, so I, many people arrested for I lost all of track. this. I lost track. I did too. That's why yeah. I asked. <laughs> yeah, there were quite a few people who got arrested. Actually, so there were a number of different, a lot, a lot of different people got convicted and went and, to jail. And went to jail, and, and then, then had more to be murders let go. happened and didn't let get let go right away. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them did, but some of them didn't. Uh, they had uh, anywhere. Well, even though the police had uh, had, had tried and they had arrested uh, the three most likely suspects in the whole thing. Well, unfortunately, the killer struck again. Uh, the next murder was July 1984. Uh, Claudia Stefanacci, I think that's how she and Piorantini murdered in the usual way of Claudio still in the car and Pia dragged out of the car a few dozen meters away uh, and mutilated. And this time he escalated again. He not only took out her pubic area, he tore off her left breast. Oh. Yeah, didn't cut it off, apparently. Yeah, it's pretty pretty harsh. Like, t- I literally physically don't understand that. Uh, it seems like it would be really hard to do. I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe partially cut and partially I was going to say, yeah. you've got to start an incision of There's some no kind. There's no way. Yeah, he, right? must, I mean, he must have done at least a little bit of cutting. But, oh, yeah, it's, it's uh, gross. But, uh, but hopefully she was dead by the time that happened. God, I, I really hope yeah. so. Yeah, I do, yeah. Well, so anyway, there's there's this murder, a, a horrible murder, and the three favorite suspects are all in prison, um, and they were all eventually released. Although in, in uh, Francesco's case, it didn't actually he didn't get released till November that year, so they kept him around for months because the police felt that even though obviously this meant he wasn't guilty, they were pretty sure he knew who was. So they felt like they'd just hang on to him and keep the pressure on for a while until he cracked. Yeah, he never cracked. Apparently. Um, and I don't want to sound like I'm stereotyping people, but from what I've heard about, he comes from the mount, the inner mountains of Sardinia, where it's kind of a very traditional kind of society, and there's, there's clans and, and the code of Omerta and all that, you mm-hmm. know, just like with the Sicilians and stuff. And so these are not the kind of guys that, even if they know who it is, they're not going to tell the police. They're not going to squeal. No. no, that's just, yeah. And if you're one of our Sardinian listeners and I've got it all wrong, please send us an email. Uh, but Francesco was eventually released, and uh, he uh, threw a little. His friends threw a little party for him. That was November 1984, and uh, Mario Spezzi, the journalist, attended his little party and got a little a little alone time with him, and said, mm-hmm. uh, and said, uh, so what do you think the monster is really like then? What's your theory? And Francesco said a few things, but he, the last thing he said was that the monster was quote. One who once upon a time experienced a very, very great disappointment, unquote. I mean... And he didn't say exactly what that meant. That's just what he said. That is so vague. Well, it's vague, but at the same time, it's kind of specific. I, don't, I guess I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think he probably had a lot of time to think about mm-hmm. who, who, what, kind of, what kind of guy yeah. could be doing this, right? Yeah. And as we are, we three are wont to do... We just try to like dig into the psychology of somebody, and uh-huh. I think we would all agree that like whoever was doing these things suffered mm-hmm. some kind of very big trauma or something, or, or some or, or some self perceived trauma, or just had something in him that was just missing. I don't know. Yeah, but something was going on. Some there. kind of yeah. great disappointment, if yeah. you will. Uh, I would agree with that. Yeah, probably. Uh, or, or it could mean that he knew exactly who it was. It could exactly also mean why that. he was doing it. I exactly, don't know. Exactly. Yeah. But you can you can sort of understand that why the police might think that these guys really kind of knew what was going on and just weren't saying. When they go around saying stuff like this. All right. So uh, 
So there were three out of four suspects from the 1968 killing. They were eliminated. So that leaves one, which is Salvatore Vinci. And then when police started looking into him, they discovered that he actually had some perverse sexual appetites, which, of course, doesn't make him a, a, a serial killer. Uh, but apparently he was promiscuous, like group sex, would do it with anybody, a man, a woman, a chihuahua, whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. He, and uh, he was also suspected of murdering his wife in Sardinia back in 1961. Hmm. Uh, and so when they were investigating Salvatore, and by the way, they had him under surveillance too, while they were doing this, the monster boy struck again uh, one last time, which was Saturday, September 7th, 1985. This time the victims were a couple of French tourists who were camping, uh, and uh, this was a little bit different. Uh, they weren't in the car, they were in a tent. Apparently they were naked and had just had sex, and then the killer approached, crashed down in front of the tent, made a noise by slitting part of their tent with his knife, and then when they popped out of the tent and unzipped the fly and came popping out, he was crouching down in front of the tent. He opened fire on them. Killed the woman and in immediately. Nadine. Yeah, Nadine, and then her her boyfriend Jean. He was hit four times, but they were all superficial. He got like hit in like the, like the wrists and the elbow, and you know all painful wounds and everything. But they but didn't. Not like great. Nothing shots. fatal. Nothing debilitating. Nothing yeah. that debilitating. Uh, and so it looked like from the physical scene that uh, Jean bolted from the tent and sprinted off into the woods and. It looks like he probably knocked the, knocked the killer down. The killer was probably crouching again, and he just got caught by surprise, got knocked over. But, you know, picked himself up, went running after Jean, and stabbed him in the back, and then stabbed him a few more times in the abdomen, and then cut his throat. Uh, then he goes back to the tent, does the usual mutilations of Nadine. Because he had shot her as well in the initial she, she volley. Was, yeah, she was already dead, but uh, he goes back, and then and, you know, again, this time, the, the pubic area and the left breast. Again. Uh, again. And then later mailed a part of that breast to the Ugh. state prosecutor, yeah, Ugh. along with a note. Ugh. Yeah, apparently this scared the crap out of her, and so she resigned as prosecutor. Such a shock. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I was going to say, if you yeah. guys ever want me to stop doing the podcast, you can do something much less terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't take, it wouldn't take, that, that wouldn't take much for me either, really. No. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just a mild threat, and I'm mm-hmm. out. I'm done. Yeah. Yep. Uh, at this, by this point in time, police really turned up the heat. Uh, they offered a reward of about half a billion lira, which is about five bucks. Um, and for ah, yeah, I know. That's and, not true. And they started putting decoys in cars in the hills. And the joke was that there were more police pairs of policemen in cars in the, the hills around <laughs> Florence than there were actually mm. lovers. <laughs> and uh, but is, was, wait, was this the same style as you always oh, see those? It was the 80s and 90s TV show where the gruff cop is dressed up as the prostitute walking down the street, uh, hoping the bad guy will, will try and take her out so that they can get the arrest. Is it this level of absurdity when it's uh, there was two some, men cops, one dressed up to look like a girl, there and the was, whole thing uh, is really stupid? There was a little wig wearing, yeah. Okay. I mean, because, I mean, they, they tried as much as possible to get police women out there as decoys, but apparently there was a bit of a shortage of them, and so some guys had to, like, shave off their mustaches and put on wigs. <laughs> and uh yeah and but unfortunately for them uh you know they 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 never got this was that was his last murder and it might have been that he just decided for whatever reason that it was time to back off maybe when the, the hills are all full of cops in cars it's a good time to retire or maybe move on somewhere else because it really was his last killing uh in the meantime the police investigation toward, sort of went uh, reached an intersection and some of them went one way some of them went another 
some of them still like the Sardinian connection, and some of them have decided that that whole thing was all played out, and they should look at other possibilities. Mario Rotella was still fixated on Salvatore Vinci and was still working on building a case against him. Uh, at the same time, the police in September 85 got an anonymous letter accusing a farmer who was Pietro Pacciani uh, of, being the, of being the monster. Mm-hmm. And Pacciani, by the way, was, was not a model citizen. I mean, I don't think he did it, but uh, he eventually was tried for the crime. Uh, the police uh, looked into his background. He had actually killed a young couple in their car in 1951. He was a, a, supposedly his girlfriend at the time, and she was having sex with some traveling salesman or something. Some other man. Yeah, essentially. he bushed, So he bushwhacked them and took a rock and bashed the guy's head in with it and then stabbed him to death. And then apparently raped his girlfriend in the, in the grass next to the corpse. You know, just to assert his dominance or ownership or something. Yeah, lovely story. Yeah, yeah, nice guy. But uh, uh, rumor also had it that he was a peeping Tom, a porn freak, a wife beater, and that he had sexually abused his daughters. Apparently all that stuff was true. Like I said, he was not a model citizen. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think but, eventually we need to talk more about this guy because... A little bit. But uh, <laughs> Well, back to Salvatore, though. Uh, uh, event, meantime, Mario Rotella, the, the magistrate... Finally, formally accused Salvatore of being the monster. Uh, he couldn't actually build a case against him, so he decided instead to charge him with murdering his wife back in 1961, back in Sardinia. And I've heard the details of this case, and it was uh, really highly questionable. She supposedly committed suicide, but uh, it looks sure as hell looks to me like he murdered her. And he had, he had motive. She was screwing around on him, so, you know, honor and all that stuff. Uh, but uh, he was so never, motive in his mind. In his mind, yeah. Or and even for his fellow villagers off in the hills of Sardinia, that was probably justifiable enough enough to make them you know look the other way when it happened. But uh, Salvatore was charged with murder, put on trial, and that was in 1988. So he spent uh, early 1986 through 88 in jail. And then prior to that, he was under surveillance. So I'm not sure if he's good for the 1985 murder or not. But anyway, after the trial, he got off, and he left and immediately went back to Sardinia and uh, went up into the mountains and disappeared. He has never been heard from again. Okay. So so much for Salvatore. Uh, But Pietro Pacciani did not go away, and a different set of prosecutors was trying to build a case against him. And, of course... There, there was, for one thing, they looked at it, they did a search of his house. They found a painting that was extremely disturbing. It was a really weird, and I've not seen the painting, but I've heard it described in great detail. And it does sound a little bit creepy, but it was signed, uh, it was signed by him and, and had a little title like a science fiction dream or something like that. And, uh, and it also, <laughs> one of the most damning things about it is it had seven crosses that were in the painting that were planted in the grass in the painting, which the prosecutors thought might be significant because that's seven, seven crimes committed by the monster. But if it was him, that number's not right because he killed in 51, and if he was also responsible for the early 60, or the 60 killings, uh-huh. it should have been nine crosses. Should have been eight, I guess. Well, eight or nine. If, if there's the, also the 1951 killing, because he's the guy who, yeah, he's the one who in 51 killed the other guy. Uh-huh, so, like, the number doesn't work. Uh-huh. Did he kill his girlfriend, though? Or his ex girlfriend? No, no, he did not kill no. her. And that's why that, that particular crime yeah. didn't really fit the DMO. The, the, of, well, also, I mean, one can certainly see how that would escalate. I mean, if, if that was the, the trigger point, right, that would escalate into him doing what he wanted to do. 
uh-huh. to this woman yeah. many, many times over to other women. You know, like I can under, mm. I can see that, that escalation uh-huh. there. Yeah. I can see that argument, but knowing what I know about this guy, I don't think he's, he's the monster. He's not our best suspect, I don't think, but he, but the prosecutors were actually liking him quite a lot. Um, but the painting, the, the painting, they, um, Leave, leaving aside the cross thing, as far as as far as the prosecutors were were concerned, they felt the monster had committed seven crimes uh, because they weren't counting the '68 shootings. I don't think. Um, and although they did find try to find a really tendentious, I think, way to link him to the '68 shootings, just so they could find an explanation as to how he had gotten his hands on this gun, which was used in '68, because there was no connection between yeah. the Vinci's or the Mela or the Malays or anybody. So, and him, uh, so, you know, that was a kind of tricky, kind of a little trick on their part. Uh, the whole thing was actually, the whole prosecution was of Pacciani, even though the guy was a jerk, it was ludicrous. They, they took the painting to a psychologist uh, like, and, and showed it to him, and the psychologist came back with an opinion that, well, yeah, you know, it's not inconsistent with being painted by a serial killer, I guess. And, that was about it. <laughs> and, uh, and it turned out that actually uh, Pacciani had, had plagiarized a little bit. It actually was not his painting at all. He just he had just like you know, signed his name on it, but it was actually painted by some Chilean artist. And he's the wrong height. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's he's the wrong height. He's five foot three. Uh, I should say was. I don't think he's still alive. Well, no, probably yeah. not. No, uh, he was in poor health. He'd had a heart attack. He had emphysema. Not the so, kind of guy he'd be running around in the woods chasing somebody with a knife. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's it. Jean, Jean the, the French guy who was killed in 1985, who bolted from the tent. He was 25 years old, and he was an amateur track star. He specialized he specialized in the 100 meter sprint. You know, and so so this, he's quick off the blocks. Quick yeah. off the blocks and fast, I'm sure. And so that you know, Pacciani was was going to catch up with this guy. I don't think so. Yeah. I doubt it. Yeah. Uh, so. I mean, do we have more stuff to talk about before we start talking? Because it feels like we're starting to talk about theories. Yeah, kind of. Well, I just yeah, yeah, we're getting close to theories here. We're sort of yeah, we are we are sort of dis- disparaging the the guilt of this guy. Uh, and of course, there was the, his height. How did he shoot downward into the, in the, the windows of that VW van? Well, you but, said it. He brought a stool. Yeah, that must have been yeah. it. Uh, they actually kept going after Pacciani. They did this unprecedented search of his house, which involved like digging up his whole yard, going over his house with scientific instruments and everything else. And the only thing they found was a 22 shell casing. The 22 shell casing was actually had never been fired. It had, uh, the bullet had been removed and there was no powder in it, but there was no firing pin mark. So it was, you know, an, an, an unfired shell. Uh, and so that's all they found. And it did have some markings on it, that looked, so it looked like maybe it had been loaded in the gun at some point. So they showed it to experts, ballistics experts, who came back and said, well, yeah, I guess the markings are not totally inconsistent with it being loaded in a Beretta 22 like the monster had. And, well, that was good in that. So it was a pretty pretty weak tee, but uh, the prosecution uh, went with that. They prosecuted the guy. There was a huge trial that lasted like six months, and he was convicted on basically no evidence at all. And eventually it got thrown out a couple of years later on appeal, and he was set free. And I think they, they were going to re-prosecute him. And they also arrested a couple of his associates. Uh, this, this whole thing is, again, ludicrous. He had this one associate that, that, that was in no way linked to it. And then this other guy, Giancarlo Lotti, was a village idiot. This, this little village called, um, 
uh, San Casciano, and this guy came forward. I don't know if he came forward on his own. The police just found him and got him to talk to say this, but he said that uh, he had actually taken part in the 1985 killing in the in the, of the in the tent and everything. And and so, I, so 27 charged people later. Yeah, I know exactly. Well, and so these guys were charged and convicted, even though uh, it's just ludicrous. Uh, and it kept getting weirder. Uh, the police really got into this whole thing about the satanic death cult and all this stuff, and re- using the monster to get body parts for the, these rituals. And as late as 2007, a pharmacist from the town of San Casciano, because apparently the police believed that this was ground zero for all the satanic activities that were going on. So this pharmacist uh, was charged as, uh, he was accused of being one of the masterminds of the monster's killing. Uh, and in the end, the trial judge dismissed the charges and uh, actually did so with kind of contempt. He basically said, there's just no, he didn't say the evidence isn't quite there. He said, there's no reason to believe any of this. Yeah. And so he threw it all out. Uh, and that's about it. Uh, unless the monster moved away, changed his MO, and kept on killing, the, the, the killing seemed to have ended in 1985. I would say that's and inaccurate. As far as I know, the, uh, the investigation is still going on, um, and I would not be surprised to read one of these days it's yet somebody else has been indicted and is being put on trial for this thing. I mean, it's, as loony as this whole thing has been. And I haven't totally captured the insanity of the whole thing. If you really want to know, hear the entire incredible, bizarre story, read The Monster of Florence by Douglas Preston. Great book. And you'll have to get the whole insane story there. All right, we're gonna, let's go to theories. But before we do that, let's take a quick break. But even-toed ungulates mill about and wait until it's their turn. They're patient. They have all night. They'll just stand bunched together, chewing their cud, and occasionally letting out a bleak. Which is a bit ironic, if you think about it, because it's that vocalization, not their order jumping over the fence, that's most likely to keep you up at night. Actually, now that I think about it, what's most likely to keep you awake is their smell. Oh, and um, do you have hardwood floors? Because if you do... All of that jumping up and down and milling around is going to do a real number on it. Luckily, there's a better way than counting sheep to get a good night's sleep, and that's with a Casper mattress. Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Its supportive memory foam creates an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And they offer free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada. I have one, and it's about a million times better than the crappy hotel mattress that I'm sleeping on right now. I love it. And Casper has offered that if you go to casper.com slash sideways and use the offer code sideways, you get $50 towards any mattress purchase. That's www.casper.com slash sideways and the offer code sideways. Terms and conditions apply. Because hardwood floors are a lot more expensive. And we're back. Yay. Woohoo. So we're going to actually talk about theories now, not just disparage the story as we were going through it yeah. like we have been. Yeah, let's talk about theories. I guess we could um, I guess we could start with, since we just talked about Pietro Pacciani, I guess we could talk about him a little bit. Uh, it just seems, you know, let's knock him out real quick. Like, I mean, it seems to me like he's just not a good fit at all. There's not a shred of evidence. Agreed. Too small, too out of shape. And they, well, and it uh, seems like he and then all of his associates, the it, it feels like somebody in the prosecutor's office 
realized they had a gold mine of possible people and just went after them all and it was just a charge fest. Like, we're yeah. going to do this, we're going to do that, yay! Yeah. Because you were talking about the fact that they they went after some of his associates, right? Uh, yeah, they did. They yeah, did. They, so yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, let's just, it's a smorgasbord of people, let's just charge them all. I don't all. know, I think probably what they did is they looked at situations in which they had a convicted killer who had killed somebody in a similar situation, which he had, right? Yeah. Um, and he was also, by the way, not a good, not a nice not person. Not a nice person. No, no. And they were like, yeah, he probably could have done it. But just still. totally ignoring the fact that physically he could not have done it. Exactly. At least not the last ones. Yeah. yeah. And so, and there were probably plenty of other people out there in the countryside who were also as big a jerks as he was, too. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, that's a sad fact. But Who's uh, next? Okay, so Piano is out. Yep. Um, Let's see. Who next? Uh, I'll do this one in just because. Natalino Mele. 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 Okay. Natalino Mele. Uh, so I threw him in because, and let's face it, if you were going to ask Hollywood to make a movie about this story and you told the screenwriters to throw in a killer twist at the end with a surprise killer, well, you know, Natalino would probably get the part. Yeah, because, totally he would. I mean, think about it. I mean, he went through this whole, dra- this whole trauma and everything, and then you could sort of see why he would come back and, and, and revisit uh, oh, that, oh. at least in the, cliche, in the cliched minds of Hollywood scriptwriters. He knows that this would what be a was, thing. What was that? Uh, the, you remember The Good Son with, what's his name from Home Alone, Macaulay Culkin, mm-hmm. where uh, he was just, he was the psycho kid? Uh, I mean, if this was the Hollywood version, it could be the, he could actually have been the one who shot his mom and his uncle from the back of the car. Uh-huh. He could have done the initial killings, and it was his gun the whole way. Like, how he stashes it, Hollywood has to figure out. I mean... It seems like a hell of a stretch. In uh, real that life, like a stretch. that's yeah. bunk, right? A six-year-old kid doesn't, like, hide a gun. For, I mean, that's not... That's not... Yeah. It's, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Anyway, um, but to suppose that he witnessed... His, that's like kind of what I was, I was thinking that he father, actually did it. I was thinking that he witnessed it and that and that kill his like mother. Yeah, and then um and you know presumably then I guess we can say like he was awake and like saw them having sex and then wow. saw the whole thing and if it was somebody who was related to him he could have gotten the gun from the especially if it was his dad who did the shooting, uh, you know, it could have been his dad's gun and I he just hit it. And I don't think his dad actually owned the gun. I mean, yeah. in any way, in any case, anybody who was related to him, you know, having the gun, somebody, somebody in could the have just had the gun. given yeah. it to him and yeah. let him live out his childhood traumas. Yeah. Maybe they so, thought it'd be therapeutic for him to go out maybe, and you know, be a yeah. serial killer. Or to say, yeah. listen, just so you know, this is the gun that killed your mother. We thought you should have it. Yeah. Because people do weird stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe I, you know. It's, and that bent him permanently. Yeah, it could be. Uh, I'll, I'll, I, in fairness to him, I have to say there's not a shred of evidence. So, you know. No. It's just that, you know, he, it just, like, again, if Hollywood were making a movie out of this, he would definitely be a big It would be him. Oh, yeah. It probably mm-hmm. would be him. No, it would be. Because of yeah. what he went through. Yeah. But, you know, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, so I really can't say how, you know, lots of kids go through traumas and don't become serial killers. Yeah, you that's know? true. So there's that, too. Yeah. Well, if his, I mean, if the people who ended up, and I don't know what the situation was, I don't know who ended up raising him or, like, anything like that. Yeah. But it sounds like the people who were close to him, at least the male people that were close to him were kind of all messed up yeah. in some way or another. And so if, if 
his father and the the quote-unquote uncles you know it's even possible that they were saying things like listen your mother died because what she was doing was a sin but they didn't ever say to him what aspect of that was a sin right so in Uh his mind it's just drilled into him that like having sex in cars is horribly horrible and they have to be you know put right and then there's some weird sexual i'm so sure freud would have a heyday with this sort of thing dan brown let's go really quick dig him up man yeah Yeah. mr freud so i mean i think i agree i i don't think he probably actually did it but i think it's a really compelling interesting rabbit hole to fall down oh yeah and i'm sure whatever if he did even if he didn't become a serial killer i'm sure he had some issues to deal with because of this you would think Mm mm-hmm yeah, quite the evening he had, but uh, I, so I'm not gonna say I don't I don't I'm not gonna say he was. You know, who knows? Maybe I mean he definitely is not a good fit for the 1974 murder because he would have been about like what 12. I mean, conceivably, I mean, a 12 year old kid could have yeah. drugged, you know, could have used the gun, sure, dragging well, a body about 10, 12 meters. Wait, I thought the the 74. 74- 74 murder was the one where she was just stabbed repeatedly, but no actual times. excision was made. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I mean, a 12-year-old. And Although she was I outside? Guess, maybe. I mean... I guess it's true. He could have had help. I mean, you know, if he was raised by crazy uncles. Maybe. maybe they could have been help. like, all right, it's time for you. Let's you're, go. Let's go have this cathartic time, experience. Time and your, then it yeah. turns out he liked it. It's your, your bot's mitzvah. Yeah, there you well, go. Coming of age, kid. Yeah. Yeah, um... I don't... But I agree. I don't think he did it. No. Mm, probably not, no. Okay, so who's next up on the list well, here? let's see. Francesco. Francesco Vinci. Okay, so um, there's there's three Vinci's or something like that. So which one is this? This is uh, uh, Salvatore and Francesco were the two brothers. Right. And then uh, Antonio Vinci was, the... was Salvatore's son. Okay. And uh, Antonio and, and, and they were, by, by the way, estranged. Salvatore and Antonio okay. were. Okay. There, there's a so. bunch of Vinci, so I just wanted to clear yeah. it up again because it's been a while since we talked about them. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. So Francesco, the, the two brothers, and, and then the, and then Francesco's nephew, Salvatore's son, Antonio. Uh, so Francesco, well, you know, I mean, it does seem like he knew something. Although, again, maybe like you say, he was just speculating that he'd had time to think about it. Yeah. Two of the murders took place while he was in jail. So. Uh, you know, I guess if you want to take the, the the theory that it was there was more than one monster, more than one person doing it, perhaps Antonio was committing these murders just you know while he was in jail as a way to exonerate him, uh, as the police were saying. It's uh, a family tactic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Although I'm I'm not sure that I buy that because if he was doing it to just to to get him out of jail, then okay, so he kills the two German guys, mm-hmm. and then he waits well over a year. For the next killing. Well, maybe he did. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't sound like he really liked his brother that much. Oh, no. It was his, uh, no, we're talking Antonio. And so Antonio... because remember, son. Francesco was locked oh, the up. The son. That's right. Antonio, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. It's confusing. So one, one last time. So Salvatore's son was Antonio. And uh, and then his and then Francesco was Antonio's uncle. And they actually... Francesco and Antonio had a very great relationship. They were, they were, very, they were good... Close buddies, good friends. And neither of them liked Salvatore. Yeah, neither right. of them did. And so if, so if you're going to take the idea that uh, he committed these two murders, I don't think it's the case because I don't think he would have waited as long as he did. He, he let his uncle like sit in jail for quite a while uh, when he could have actually, well, okay, one murder wasn't enough. Okay, I'll go murder somebody else again. Okay, but, but, to, put, but to put the shoe on the other foot, you don't want to press it. You don't want, I mean, you know, 
the cops are everywhere. Uh-huh. They're out there looking. You don't, you know, it's it's kind of a, it's a dangerous game to be like, well, let's go do it again and try yeah. and get him out faster. Well, you know, you got to be really, really careful. And he may have, he, you know, if it was, so in this theory, what you're saying is, we're, you're saying it's Antonio who's doing that to get to get Francesco to get out Francesco of out. Yeah. He would, he would, maybe he was very, very, very cautious. He could yeah. have been out, you know, once every month or two, spotting and going, ah, no, no, you know that guy, that guy lifts some weights. Um, he will, he will club me. I'm not going after. That. Or no, those yeah. people, I don't like the look of them. I mean, there's a whole slew of reasons that he may have just taken his time. Well, I can think of actually one reason that would spoil his kills, you know, a lot of times is he's there casing out these guys and then some of the some of the voyeurs show up with their cameras and crap. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh well, there's this little scotch. The peeping toms, yeah. So that must have been a major impediment for him, uh with when those guys were hanging out there. At the same time it's kind of uh, kind of amazing. This guy really was pretty good that he was never spotted by any of these voyeurs who were hanging out there all over the place in those woods. But, you know, what's funny is that I remember reading about the voyeurs is that they, you know, not only did they have cameras and listening devices, but they had, weirdly, some of the latest technology in night vision goggles. Yeah. Well, let's take this, let's back up. Let's say I'm wanting to kill somebody and I come across the voyeur and I'm like, you jerk, you just screwed this up. And you beat the crap out of the guy and you take his stuff. Uh He's not going to call the cops and say, some guy stole all of my equipment for peeping on people who were having sex in cars. Like, Uh so then he would get, he'd suddenly have things to use. So he might be like, oh, hey, these goggles are great. I mean, oh, nope, nope. I see, I see Peepin' Joe over there. Nope, definitely can't go on that one. Yeah. This night is a bust. Yeah, if you're going to be And if he's a... going for nights where it's dark, you know, no moon, it's a limited time each month. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and so, yeah, there was just that small, that small window of time, and there was always going to be these guys out there screwing things up. So, yeah, Antonio Spring and Francesco, no. I think that uh, probably Francesco just wasn't the killer. Again, although we don't know for a fact that the, the monster was just one guy. Yeah. We don't know that. Could have been more than one. I Although. You know, probably not. I mean, that's a pretty specific mutilation, and uh-huh. it's pretty brutal. Yeah, it is. And, I mean, I guess I just, in my brain, hope that, like, there's not more than one person in any given region. Yeah, good. that's a good that hope to have. That is willing to do that. Mm-hmm. But I, I could be a wrong assumption, but it's my hope. Yeah. In this world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Most of us, I don't, I hope that most of us can't do stuff like that. I yeah. don't think I could. Mostly, yeah. I just hope that, you know, the one, if it was one of the Vinci's, you know, they came back and they were like, oh, yeah, I just did this thing and, like, look at this thing that I got. And everyone was like, dude, no. <laughs> that is <laughs> so no. wrong. Yeah. What? Do not no. do that again. Oh, well. But in that story, right, we're saying that he came back, he was like, look at what I just did. And everyone was like, yeah, I can get on board with that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I could do that. Good job. No yeah. problem. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, maybe it was initiation right now. That's some actually... like Texas Chainsaw Massacre crazy. Yeah, it's like like the hills have eyes kind it's of yeah. crazy. That was, yeah. I was about to say that. <laughs> that's the one I meant. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's that kind of nuts. Yeah. yeah. I, so, yeah I don't think, I, I think these guys were uh, not model citizens. I don't know if they were all that twisted and, and, and messed up. So, I mean, so do we have a good suspect? I mean, 
Well, there is uh, there is one possibility because Salvatore, um, you know, Salvatore is maybe because I mean, he he's the other brother. Mm. Yeah, Salvatore, uh, Antonio's dad. Uh, he left the country. Well, he was in jail from early eighty six onward. He was under surveillance prior to that, but then he, and then he left in nineteen eighty eight. So that would account for if he was the killer. That would account for why they stopped. Mm-hmm. So which makes Salvatore. Although at the same time, he was being followed by the police quite a lot. So, I can't imagine that they were all too subtle about that. No, they weren't. Yeah. He was aware he was being followed, uh, generally at least. And so he knew he was being followed. So it would have been pretty ballsy on his part and to go out rem- and commit a murder. I mean, all the other ones, yeah, but the 1985 murder, that was when he was really you know, starting to come to their attention. Can you remind me, what was the progression of, her, of uh, Barbara's progression through the Vinci brothers? Was it Francesco first or was it uh, Salvatore? It first? was Salvatore first. Okay. And then Francesco. And then Francesco. And then and not Antonio the nephew, but Antonio Lobianco, who was not related right. to them. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Okay. I mean I guess I can see Stefano feeling really jilted and then again doing that thing that we were kind of talking about with um with Natalino, where he just never quite got over the slight. And, you know, maybe because he, when he initially murdered Barbara, he was feeling like, oh, um, I can't, you know, the, the, the kids right here, I care about this kid. I can't, you know, take out all of my rage on her. And so he had that kind of weirdness in his brain and that he was trying to work out uh-huh. uh, you know again that's this is good probably too like cognizant about? of like what but i yeah i mean i'm talking mm. Sal- salvadore i mean oh, it, salvatore yeah oh that, so you think he was feeling a little guilt over the well that he didn't that he had more anger towards barbara than he was able to express because natalino was there in the back seat oh I and see so he cared about natalino and he you know took him and took him to a safe which place which is why the first one didn't that's have why any the barbara, mutilation yeah that's why yeah. the 86 one didn't have any mutilation and then maybe he was able to kind of or he was trying to suppress it you know mm. so that's why there was such a big gap between the that one mm. and then the 74 one and then it just kind of ramps up. He does it once, and he's like, "Oh no!" I'm, he's like so compelled to just keep working it out. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I have no idea. I have no idea either. Yeah, I, but uh, eventually I'm not a criminal either, psychologist. Yeah, I mean, he, he eventually either got over it. He went back to um, Sardinia and became a serial killer there. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's possible. Uh, yeah, it could be. It's All totally right. yeah. possible. Uh, but uh, yeah. Uh, so possible, but again, it's these guys were sneaky because they never really left much in the way of evidence. There's one last guy, and this guy is actually kind of the favorite of a lot of people, and that is Antonio Vinci, who we've talked at length about already. Yeah, we talked about him a little bit. Uh, well, you'll remember police were suspicious uh, Francesco because he was close to the scene of two killings, and he was actually in, at both those times he was hanging out with Antonio. So that was uh, and. In one in one case, Antonio lived a mere six kilometers from the murder site, so that put, that's, that's actually as much of a finger of guilt uh, towards Antonio as to Francesco, just for that alone. Uh, he was talking to Mario Spezzi, the journalist, and Douglas Preston. They actually pit and cornered him in his own kitchen, and he at that time uh, acknowledged that he owned a scuba knife. Now, whether he was just tweaking them, I don't know, but a scuba knife. Because he was talking about how his bad relationship with his father, Salvatore, 
and he talked about how they got in this really big knockdown fight, and he had him down on the floor pinned, and he had a scuba knife, and I had my scuba knife to his throat. Wow. Yeah, and maybe he was just being kind of, actually kind of being uh, taunting them about the case, because he had to have known that they, they thought he was maybe the killer. He was, according to what, what they talked to him, they found that he was extremely up on the case. He was very familiar with it. Although that's to be expected, even if he's not yeah. the killer. He's involved, yeah. whether he likes to be or not. <laughs> he's, it pays so, to know the details of the case that you were suspected of being involved in. Yeah. Um, uh, another thing about Antonio is he'd be about the right age for it. And he actually moved away from Florence between the years 1975 and 1980. So that means that whole gap between the 74 killing and the 81 killing, well, that could sort of be accounted for by Francesco yeah. being out of town. Uh, so that would account for why there were, had been no murders between the 74 murder and the 1981 murder. So that fits. Uh, and he acknowledged to Preston and, and Spetsy when he talked to them that he was with Francesco when Francesco hid the car in the woods way back in like 82. Hmm. And that's about it. That's not a huge amount of evidence. No, I, I mean, I, what, what my biggest problem so far with all of this is that with the exception of Pietro, this is all focused on one family. Mm -hmm. like, oh, well, we can't make it work with this guy. Let's try the other guy. Oh, it didn't work with him. Let's try it with the other relative. Like, this this is so easy to me to, well, let's expand our scope of the investigation from this one family and I know that they looked into a lot of people, but yeah. it is just so easy to have been somebody completely unrelated to this family. And that's what's, I, I think that's what makes this case such a winner for people and so intriguing and why it's been around so strong. But it's like, I, I don't know why the cops went about it in the way that they did in terms of the, the, the Vinci's. Mm. Like, we've got to focus on the Vinci's. Well, uh, it's, just, it's frustrating to me. Yeah, well, after the connection was made to the Beretta handgun, I can understand why they would want to give them a good thorough look-see. But, uh, but it the thing feels about like it they is, went overboard. Is, well, yeah, I mean, the, um, uh, the thing about it is, is it's always possible that the gun actually left their hands. I mean, they might have sold it. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, I mean... They might have lost it. They could have been stolen from them. I mean, it's always possible that... And they if had... they are uh, associating with ne'er-do-wells, yeah. it could very easily end up in the hand of yet another murder. I mean, yeah. we've seen these stories in the news before where somebody gets found with a gun on them, and they say, well, I bought that gun, and that gun is connected to murders via the ballistics. How'd you get it? Well, I bought it from the kid on the corner who I, bought, I buy my Coke from. You know, I needed a gun. So I bought it from him. Turns out it was a gun that was used in a crime. Happens. And these things happen. They do. I mean, or the Vinci's knew a bunch of kind of crappy people. Uh, well, they did, especially you know? Francesco. He was he hung out with a lot of criminals yeah. and low and lives. And so, you know, he says, I got to get rid of this gun. It's hot. I used uh -huh. it in a murder. Uh, uh -huh. The cops are on to me. It's, real, it's got a really specific shot pattern. And some guy says, yeah, I'll buy it from you. And yeah, then... well, he probably didn't even say it was used in a murder. He probably just said, you know, he had a friend who was looking for a gun. And he says, oh, I got a gun. He says, one. oh, I'll, I'll sell you this one. Yeah, yeah. no problem. Yeah, and that's, yeah, which is, uh, Joe, why I don't buy guns from you. That's a smart reason. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so it's entirely possible, yeah, that, that, that this, and I think that the crowd that committed the 68 murder, I believe that those guys probably were all involved. 
Yeah, I would agree with yeah, that. The family. And it was a clan killing, yeah, but not necessarily all the later killings. Not necessarily. But beyond that, who the hell knows? Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I struggle to believe that the entire thing was done by that, that entire family because that is just such... There's an or, a level of organization to it yeah. that I cannot f- see a fighting family being able to maintain, especially with some of the specificity that was done in terms of the the attacks on the women and oh, stuff yeah, like that. Like, term, no. Yeah, long term. It's like you if if you're capable of doing that just for this, you you probably are doing a whole bunch of other things, and you should have been found. Yeah. yeah. So I think we can all agree that we don't like any of them. Yeah. No, I mean, none of them. I mean, I, I think that uh, Antonio definitely is possible. It's a possibility, but, you know, as far as, you know, would I send him to jail? Would, would I vote to send him away? No. no. Because, no. It's not just, beyond the, a reasonable doubt. No, the evidence really isn't there. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you never know. I mean, maybe someday the gun will turn up and we'll find out where it's been all these years and we'll get a better idea of, you know, maybe who really was the killer. Yeah. And or it could, it's you know, in the bottom of a river. Yeah, probably. There's, there's always that possibility. It's sleeping too. with the fishes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the monster. Unfortunately, we didn't quite solve this one or hang it on Chupy. Sorry, Chupy. Uh, he likes the notoriety. He know? does. Yeah, he does. He enjoys that stuff. Well, you guys got any more theories? Before we no. Before we no, I think we've exhausted this one pretty well. I think so. Hey, well, let me let me tell you guys a few fun facts you're really going to want to know. First off, you might want to like, you know, especially if you're the killer, please send us an email. And our email <laughs> is thinkingsidewayspodcast at gmail.com. And, uh, and we also have one of those website thingies. Uh, that website is thinkingsidewayspodcast.com. Uh, you can download and listen to our episodes right there. Uh, and also, oh, we have, we've got a link for merch there, too, don't oh, we? Oh, yeah, on the yeah. website? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you can, uh, you, there's, there's a survey is on there. The merch is on there. All of that stuff is all on kinds the of good right stuff. hand panel. Yeah, so you can buy mugs, t shirts, all kinds of good stuff. Uh, what else? Uh, other places you can find us would be on iTunes, where you can subscribe, you can rate us, preferably a five star rating. We like those better. And uh, give us a review. That's great, too. Uh, and streaming, we can be streamed like from everywhere. Google Play is a big one. I know there's a lot of others. That's anywhere stupid. you find good podcasts, yeah. that's anywhere where we're at. you get fine podcasts. There you go. Uh, and uh, social media, we're there too. We're on Facebook, where we have a group and a page. So join the group, like the page, or is it like the group, join the page? I can't remember. Just no. joining the group, liking the page. There you go. Okay. Sorry for the confusion. We're on Twitter where we are thinking sideways without that G. And we have a subreddit, thinking sideways. What's going on with the subreddit these days? Uh, Conversations. Stuff. stuff, okay. And junk. And junk, okay. Uh, yeah, and that's about it. I already told you about the merch and stuff like that. So yeah, I think we're done for this week. All right. Yeah. So until next week, ciao. Arrivederci. I don't know the language. Bye. Bye, ski.